0: the moment that you start measuring against the future you tighten up okay and i've just learned that anytime i tighten up i said okay where did you start this and i measure backwards what have you done since you started immediately i relax you just, it's like a reset button yeah there's a oh. reset and i said you know everybody goes in the cab i said But I can remember in 78, I was both divorced and bankrupt on the same day in 1978, August 15th, I always remember it. And- uh, I was three
1: years old then, Dan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) a little guy. I I don't know what you were doing that day, Scott, but you had a better day than I did. (laughs)
1: The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Dan Sullivan. He's the founder of the Strategic Coach Program. It's a program for high-performing entrepreneurs, and he's been a coach for 47 years. Dan is 77, and I call him the Tom Brady of coaching because he seems to get better every single year. I originally was in Dan's program 10 or 12 years ago. It was awesome. He's got lots of great thinking tools. And honestly, though, at the time, I don't think that I had the maturity to realize all the great things I was learning. So I rejoined Street to Coach recently and absolutely been loving it. And so as I coach myself, I coach mortgage brokers, but I believe that we need to be coached and Dan's programs are awesome. So he's come up with a new book called The Gap and the Gain and highly recommend that you get it. In fact, we're actually giving away 25 copies of Dan's book. And so if you want a chance to get one of those copies, go to brokerbookclub.com. BrokerBookClub.com. So I'm starting a series where I interview authors, and we talk to them about whatever their you know unique talent or special thing that they know is, and then we try to apply that directly to the mortgage industry, and we give away some books. And so uh, the first one of these books is The Gap in the Game with Dan Sullivan. He also has another book called Who Not How. That one came out last year, and that is a fantastic book as well. So I recommend you check that out. And so in this conversation, we really talk about what is the gap in the game. We dive into why high achievers aren't happy. And some of the things that he's learned from coaching 6,000 people over the last 47 years, absolutely enjoyed my conversation with Dan. I was like, you know, a little bit starstruck because I'm like, this guy is awesome. So check out this episode and I want to give a huge shout out to our title sponsor Finmo. So if you're a mortgage broker in Canada and you're looking for a mortgage application, document collection, submission platform, Finmo is amazing. And one of the cool things that it does is they've actually got built-in signatures. So you don't need to go get another e-signature. You don't have to get another piece of software to do that. And it's really quick in terms of preparing documents. It's like click a few buttons and your documents are prepped. And so we've been using it at our brokerage for our agents and our senior underwriters love it They're like this is so easy. It's like click, click, click. Here's the document package. Go get them signed and then go book your day. So check out finmo.ca. So also on our Ask the Expert segment, I talked to Tom Hall from Blue Mortgage and we talk about how numbers tell a story. So the numbers between your leads and apps and fundings and closings. It's a fun conversation So check that out and check out this episode. Hey, Dan, welcome to the show. Scott, how are you today? I'm super excited to have this conversation with you, Dan, about this book that you've just put out. But before we jump into that, tell me a little bit about how you got into coaching high-performance entrepreneurs.
0: Yeah, well, according to my mother, I was kind of like a born coach and showed up very, very early as a child of just having conversations with adults where I just go after their experience. And she said, you know, here I was at six years old, and I'd be sitting down and having conversations with 50-, 60-, 70-year-old people and just keeping them talking for an hour about their experiences. You know, these are people who, in some cases, have been born before there was electricity, before telephones, before cars and everything. And I just want to know what it's like to live in a world where you don't have the um, technology, you know, There were First World War veterans. There was people who had been through the Spanish flu epidemic, you know, Great Depression people, Second World War people. So I was born in the Second World War in 1944. So I'm before the boomers, you know. I'm two years before the boomer generation. So I was just fascinated that you could ask people. And I had one killer question when I was six years old, And I'd meet an adult and I'd say, when you were my age, I'm six years old, what was going on in the world? Right. That's a pretty crazy question for a six-year-old to ask. I mean, most six-year-olds are not even thinking,
1: you know, that level. So then obviously you have this fascinating. Well, long
0: story, like you or like anybody, we have trial and error things that we do in life. I mean, we get through schooling and we go into the marketplace. And probably the setup for what I've been doing since 1974, so I'm 47 years just focused on coaching, just focused on high achieving. And I tried with like corporate people and it didn't work. I tried with government people, it didn't work. I tried with, you know, people who were working for foundations, didn't work. The only people it worked for were people who were owners of their business. That's the only people that it worked with because they had total skin in the game, you know, and other people, they were half in the game. And I couldn't deal with that. The other thing is that I was dealing with people who made up their own rules. And so if they had a change of mind about their future, they could create a new set of rules for their future. And they were self-funding and, you know, they were self-motivated, self-managing. So to a certain extent, I was just riding horses in a direction they were already going. Right. But it's hard to play the game and see yourself playing the game.
1: Yeah, Strategic Coach, you started 47 years ago, right?
0: Well, I created coaching 47 years ago, and then the actual organization where we have a workshop program started in November of 89. That was only made possible because I partnered up with my lifetime partner, Babs Smith, who's also, we're married, and Babs runs the company. And we have a good-sized company. We have 120 team members. We're in three countries But I don't have anything to do with that. I have no management meetings, nothing. I'm just responsible for the show that goes on stage. Right. So I create all the thinking processes. And first of all, you know, I mastered putting on our workshops and then we started having other coaches. And so we're up to 17 other coaches besides me right now. So we're 32 years in and we're worldwide. And probably one of the greatest breakthroughs that's happened to us was COVID. It's just been a wonderful breakthrough since COVID because we had to go virtual. Mm -hmm. And we found there was a 10 times market out there waiting for us who already had planned to be in strategic coach someday, but travel was the big obstacle. Right. When we eliminated the obstacle of travel, we've had 700 new people join in from 32 different countries over the last year. So that's where we are. And, um, you know, I'm a front stage guy, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing with you. I'm good at podcasts. I'm good at audios videos podcasts I'm good at coaching you know thinking tools
1: thinking, simplifying thinking
0: tools yeah but I'm all a front stage guy I'm not right. a backstage guy at all and I'm surrounded by great teams I just put together a list I have about Ten teams that take care of different parts of my life, both my business life and my personal life. So,
1: I have a question for you because I'm, you know, a client of you guys, so a strategic coach and a big fan of what you create. But what is Bab Smith's Colby? I know you're Colby, but I'm curious, like, if it's different.
0: No, we're almost identical, actually.
1: Really? So you we're have the same. Saying, I'm Colby. a yeah.
0: two-two-ten-four. So two fact finders, two follow through, ten quick start, four. And so starting things is easy, you know, very yeah. very easy. Finishing things is very hard. <laughs> and managing them in between is very hard for me. So I'm a great yeah. starter and Babs is a 3392. You know, we're just a number apart on uh, you know a couple of them. But what her unique ability is, she can create teams. She's great at just picking great team leaders and creating great teams. So the company runs on about 10 different teams, different areas of the company. The team leaders report to her, and we've taken advantage of a great process called EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System, that is created by a 24-year veteran of strategic coach by the name of Gino Wickman. And he's Mm -hmm. stepped down now from the head of it, and he's got two people, but they have a wonderful process for you know, the real organizational part of any entrepreneurial company. They have a whole process. They have, they call them implementers, but they're coaches. And so what we do is that we just created a collaboration with them where we said, any of our clients will recommend that they bring EOS in for their teams. And what you'll do is you'll recommend the owners of these businesses come to Strategic Coach. So it's just a fist pump agreement, no agreement, no 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 complex
1: contracts or nothing. Their money
0: is their money, our money is our money, and it works. So it's great. It's a who, not how. So the book you put out recently was Who, Not How, which
1: again, I love that book. And then the most recent one, which we're going to talk about today, The Gap and the Gain. So if somebody doesn't know what this is, I just finished reading it. It was a fantastic book. Could you explain to our listeners, what do you mean by The Gap and the Gain? And just kind of paint the picture for them. I got some questions around the book, but I'd love you to just tee that up for us.
0: Well, you know, if you're a high achiever, you're achieving to be happy. I'm taking that as a premise, that you want your achievement to make you happy. And I find that it's hit or miss. It's really hit or miss. I know high achievers who are rock stars to people outside and people look at them, but they think they're complete failures, okay? And it comes down to a simple switch in your brain and that is that happiness is only the result of measuring progress backward.
1: Right. I think that's important enough to say again for people to get that. Yeah. So, I'm like, you just, can only be happy. Happy.
0: Yeah. happy is only created by the experience of measuring progress backwards. Okay. And what I mean by that is, I'll give you two achievers: one happy, one not happy achiever. They're equally skilled. They're equally successful. From the outside, they look like they're totally in the same league. And one of them is inspired by the future, very ambitious. They set goals for themselves. They measure, they get to the goal, they actually achieve the goal. And then they measure against their vision. They measure against their ideal. And it's like they didn't make any progress. It's like measuring your progress against the horizon. Right. I mean, you can get faster. You can do it at night. You can try to sneak up on it. But guess what? You never made any progress against the horizon. It's the same thing with your ideals. So people have a vision of themselves in the future, and they're always trying to measure their progress against their vision. And the vision just keeps moving away from them. Different achiever. That one's a guaranteed unhappy. They're miserable, uh, and their misery and their you know actually really is very self-destructive they're oftentimes very addicted they have various kinds of addictions they've been through three or four relationships they don't take care of themselves they go through staff very quickly you know they go through customers very very quickly but they're talented you know they're very talented so they can always make money on the other side you have a very very successful but happy achiever And they do the same thing. They have a vision for themselves, which shines light on where a goal is achievable. They achieve the goal, but when they achieve the goal, they turn around and look backwards to where they started. Okay. So, one of them, there's always this gap, no matter how successful you become, there's this gap between you and what you think is going to make you happy. And with the other one, there's a gain. You're always experiencing a gain. That when you look backwards and you measure, you've made progress and keeps building year after year and you just get happier and your happiness expands outside yourself. One, the unhappy gap achiever, hard to be around, don't like being around them because they look at other people as not achieving too, you know. If you're not achieving, you don't let other people around you. Yeah, achieve. if you're that hard on yourself, you're going to be the same Oh, way yeah, you export else. it. I mean, you yeah. become an exporter very quickly. Right. And the thing about this is that once you get the thought, you can't unthink it, that there's these two ways of achieving, and that only measuring backwards makes you happy. There's no other way, there's no other activity that humans can learn in their lifetime that makes them happy except measuring progress backwards. Right. I've met people in the
1: mortgage business who make, you know, a million and a half a year and they're stressed out and it's never good enough, never happy. So I totally, I can see that. So how did you discover this? So the cool thing about the book, I'll give you a thought a second to think about this, but is that there's a ton of science and research that backs up this, like you explained it in like two and a half minutes. So where did you discover this or come up with this insight?
0: Well, yeah, I'm not the scientific side, so Ben Hardy is... Yeah, I
1: know that, but you discovered a, a insight... Yeah, well, this was, you know, I'm pretty
0: good at noticing, you know, because on a personal basis, I've coached more than 6,000 in 47 years. I've directly and personally involved myself with 6,000 really successful entrepreneurs, okay? And when I say successful, right now our minimum requirement to get into Strategic Coach is $200,000 US. Okay, Now, people say, well, there's a lot of people who make that. Actually, there aren't a lot of people who make that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're totally in the top 1%. Well, you'd be maybe in the top 2%. I mean, when you say the minimum is 200000 I would say with our... 2500 clients the average income is probably two two and a half million because there's some big earners there and the lowest might be in the 200s but they wouldn't be there for very long and they're in a different category you know they live in a totally different world they have freedom that other people can't even dream about but if your achievement doesn't make you happier after a certain while it drives you crazy you know it really drives you nuts and you drive other people crazy. I mean, why is it? I'm doing everything they say to be achievement. I said, you missed all the classes on being happy. Right, right, right. <laughs> By the time I wrote the book, the book goes back to 93. So it's been 20, 28 years. And, you know, I had worked with probably 300, 400 people by then. I just saw this pattern that their obviously measurable success. In other words, they had witnesses, wasn't making them happy. And yet there were these others, they were getting happier and happier. And I just started looking into it a little bit. And I just saw the one difference was the unhappy were measuring against their ideal and the happy were measuring back against their starting point. And didn't matter what the talent level was, doesn't matter what the personality was, doesn't matter anything. It was just one measures forward, unhappy, the other one measures backwards, unhappy. And then one of the big successes, because I wasn't really thinking about this when I formed the collaboration with Ben, he was a great writer. I wanted him for his writing skills. He just Mm -hmm. has a really good major market style. You know, it's for anybody to read it. But then he has a doctorate in psychology. He's immersed himself, (laughs) marinated himself in psychological testing, psychological records and everything like that. And that was a great addition because, you know, I'm just an intuitive guy. I can sort of understand something and I don't need a lot of footnotes. Well, that's because you're two on the fact finder. You're like, okay, I know enough to know which direction I'm going. Yeah, me making up your facts is a lot easier than finding out the facts. Right. So you're just like, I'm good. Okay. I mean, we're, we're, we're close relatives here, Scott. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So I'm curious
1: how have you applied this concept to your own life so like in particular this is a question i have for you so i always thought of the gap and the gain as this like it's something for goal setting but after reading the book i realized you can fall into gap thinking all the time right yeah and so how have you applied this to your own personal life especially say with babs i'm curious about how you've navigated with that yeah well story. first of all do you sail have you ever sailed i have yes with my uncle a couple of times it's a pretty cool hobby but i don't know a lot yeah
0: people. But when you're doing, you know, major like Great Lakes sailing or you're doing, you know, ocean sailing, you'll actually have a chart and you'll have a starting point and you'll have a destination point and you'll draw it as a straight line. OK, never in the course of your trip are you ever on the line. I mean, you're crossing the line back and forth. So my sense is that being in the gain is a bit like sailing, and so people say, well, you know, you created this concept and you've been at it for, you know, 28 years. You must never go in the gap. And I said, not more than four or five times a day. Right. I said, the difference is within a minute, I know I'm in the gap. I can just feel it in my body. You tighten up the moment that you start measuring against the future, you tighten up. Okay. And I've just learned that anytime I tighten up, I say, okay, Where did you start this? And I measure backwards. What have you done since you started? Immediately, I relax. It's like a reset button. Yeah, there's a reset. And I said, you know, everybody goes in the cab. I said, but I can remember in 78, I was both divorced and bankrupt on the same day in 1978, August 15th. I always remember it and I was um, three
1: years old then Dan (laughs) I
0: I don't know what you were doing that day Scott but you had a better day than I did (laughs) but I was in the gap for two years about what a failure I was you know I mean marriage is you know you get a divorce it's a major bad report card if you get a bankruptcy it's a major bad plus they take your credit card away from you and everything like that it took me two years to come out I was just in a funk you know i I was functional enough that I could make a living, you know, with no credit card and everything like that. But, you know, it really set me back. So that was being in the gap for two years. Mm-hmm. You know. I have to tell you, I'm born happy. A lot of entrepreneurs, you know, tell horror stories about what an unhappy, dysfunctional childhood they have. I got nothing to tell like that. I had great parents. I grew up, you know, in a great setting, had an enormous amount of freedom, had an enormous amount of support. I was a happy kid, but I just hit a period in my life where things weren't working and I didn't know how to deal with it. Right. So let me ask you this. If you could go back to that two-year period, knowing what
1: you know now, how would you coach yourself? What would you say to yourself? Because there's people listening to this that, you know, they're in that one year, six months. Well, I would
0: start, you know, the daily habit that we recommend in the book, which is at the end of each day, before you go to bed, look backwards uh, to the beginning of the day and find three wins. And we actually have uh, I have it the app in the app store. You know the win streak. We call it win streak, and all it does it allows you to record in on your phone three wins for the day. You know, and at first it's hard to do because you say, "Well, I didn't have any wins." I said, "Yeah, but if you did have three wins, what would they be?" What would they be? And people write them down and say, "Okay, I've done that." And they say, "Now, looking at tomorrow, what do you think the three wins might be tomorrow?" So you finish off the day positive and your expectation for tomorrow. And if nothing else, you sleep a lot better. You sleep a lot better. You know, like you're going to bed and you're not feeling crappy about the day you just lived. You feel satisfied and it's over. And about seven days in, it becomes a bit addictive. And then you start designing your days so that you have wins. Right. Okay. So you start becoming intentional really intentional about the wins, and then you get on a, you know, it's a win streak. We call it a win streak. A win streak feels good. You know, each time you win, it gets easier to win the next time, you know. So that's what I would have done. Let's say it's August 15th, 1978. That night, go home and say she's gone. That's a win. (laughs) Yeah. Win number one. Yeah. I'm starting at zero. Win number two. (laughs) I can't spend extravagantly because they took my credit card away. That's a win, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, I can start eating what I want to eat for meals. Uh, That's a win. (laughs) You know, and the whole point is you begin expanding the number of different areas where you can appreciate that you're making progress in. That would be definitely a...
1: Okay, so this is an interesting conversation. So would be anything else that you'd say to yourself when you're in that gap? So first, find some things to celebrate the three wins. Is there anything else that you think would help that you get out of it quicker?
0: No, because I think constantly looking more forward to what was happening tomorrow and designing my day better and doing that better and better week by week, I think it would have shortened my down period by probably three quarters, like I might've had three really bad months and I would have been uh, back on. And, yeah. And uh, I mean, it's part
1: me. of your story now it made you who you are. So you know, oh, again, yeah. back at. Yeah. So no big, yeah. but it's always interesting to think about. So you coach lots of high performing entrepreneurs. Can you think of an example of one of your coaching clients who was able to use this thinking tool to go from gap thinking into the gain yeah. and what the impact it had?
0: Yeah, I have a lot, and these are two. So most of our entrepreneurs are self-made. They're the person who created the company. But we have, you know, a significant number of second-generation, third-generation and family businesses. And one I really love, there are two brothers, Katz brothers, K-A-T-Z for Canadian, Z for Americans, uh, Danny and Noah Katz. And they were third-generation in the supermarket business in New York City. Okay. So they came into the program 20 years ago. The really good ones, I keep them forever. So they came in and they had 13 stores in the New York area. East side, you know, Queens, Brooklyn, and then up the river a little bit above New York. And they were doing about 39 million gross revenues. And these are not special stores, they're not special neighborhoods, mm-hmm. but they're good stores, you know. So long story short, they've gone through the first one is they had to get complete control because they were working like they owned the stores, but they didn't actually control, you know, their father controlled the stores. And so one of their big challenges when they first came in the program for six months is in six months, we got to have complete ownership and control so they did a deal and everything else and they made use of their father because he was a great person to send out as a goodwill ambassador to all sorts of the right people in the community that you Mm -hmm. want to have a good impression with and their father was good he was a schmoozer you know he was a great schmoozer. so they got that and then they started this process and it's worth a podcast in itself but i'll just give you the end result just before COVID, and by the way, they just went gangbusters during COVID because food businesses, if you could get your supplies, it's like the mortgage yeah. industry went through the roof, and they did too, so I knew the numbers just before COVID, and this was their 18th year that they'd been in the program. They had still 13 stores, but 10 of them they had changed, so 10 of the stores they had were replaced by much bigger much better stores okay and their gross had gone from 39 million to 240 million wow okay and that was in 18 years and then they started taking free days and all the other 360 degree look at things because I tell entrepreneurs first of all you have to accept that being an entrepreneur is a life sentence right you'll never not be an entrepreneur Okay. In other words, one is you can't possibly go back to employment. And the other thing is they won't have you. No, I I totally agree. I'm self employed and my boss is a jerk, is what I always say. (laughs) Yeah. So that's one. And, you know, I have people who have gone 10 times, 20 times. But the big thing is the happiness thing, you know, that I would say that the success, if you get into coach after a while, the Success is a byproduct of the fact that you're just incredibly happier in all areas of your life. And it's because we teach people to measure backwards. Right. And they didn't know this. You know, the guy, Tucker Max, who's our book strategist. And one of the things with Ben, you know, he doesn't have my 47 years experience, especially just focusing on one kind of person. And I said, Ben, you're a psychologist. And I said, 90% of all psychologist studies are based on 22 to 29-year-old graduate students who come from the same background. Right, right. And you're paying them for the research. They're not paying you for the research. I said, my people are the most outlier group in the world from a success standpoint, from a freedom standpoint, and they're all paying me. They're all paying me. It's like you have your own
1: research lab.
0: I said, this is the most unique research lab. All that stuff you do with graduate students who haven't been in the marketplace is completely irrelevant to this group of people. These kind of people design and execute their own future. They don't depend upon other people for it. So I said, you know, we're going to get you a target reader. We're going to get you one reader that you know Who's going to be your target reader? And every time you write another paragraph, you check it out. Is this meaningful to this person? And who we chose was Tucker Max. He's got this huge company and he helps entrepreneurs write books. This year, Mm -hmm. probably 500 people will write books with him. And we send everybody to him now, you know, and it's his money. I mean, he's just a great capability we have. And I said, Tucker Max, you know, he's about 40, 45 and he was very famous in his twenties. He wrote four New York Times bestseller. One of them was made into a movie. The movie was called I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell, you know. Yeah, I've
1: heard of it. You
0: know. And he was just scandalous. You know, he yeah. you know he was a serial womanizer. I mean, he'll tell the story because you know, he needed adult supervision, what he really mm-hmm. needed. <laughs> he met this wonderful woman, and they have three kids, and he's a solid family man. So I can tell this story. And I said, Tucker is your target reader. And he says, Well, what do you mean? I said, Born goal setter. Don't have to teach this person anything about goal setter. Was making money by the time he was 10 years old, you know, his mm-hmm. own business. And I said, Don't have to teach him about ambition. Don't have to teach him about. You know, being successful, you don't have to teach him anything. He just missed all the classes on being happy. Right. So Ben said, well, I don't know about this. I said, I'll write it up and send to Tucker, and we'll have a Zoom call. And anyway, we got on, and Tucker said, I just read this. And he used a bad word here, so I'm not going to say the word. He says, this is so, begins with an F and ends with a G. This is so <laughs> accurate. Said, this is so accurate that I can't believe it he said, this is me totally. And I says, it's our target reader.
1: Yeah, that's hilarious. Okay, so I have a couple other questions. So if you guys are listening, obviously go get the book. It's a fantastic book. I've read it. I want to ask you some questions about sort of how you stay on track. So what does your morning routine look like? So, you know, you're 77, you keep going and you know producing as i was joking with you before we got on the show i'm like you're like the tom brady of coaches you know tom brady just keeps getting better and so well, it's
0: funny because tom brady's father was in the santa monica workshop for 10 years oh was he yeah it was tom brady senior you know who, yeah yeah because tom brady's from the bay area i think right, in San right. francisco i mean he attributes he had great parents and his mm-hmm. his father but his father was in you know he had his own independent insurance insurance company so he was 10 years anyway so it's funny you should mention that but yeah i think i've been doing the same activity essentially for close to half a century right and i mean we've gotten a lot better and there's many many more dimensions to what we do but essentially we're doing the same thing for the same kind of person in 2021 as we were doing in the 1970s and, you know, the team has gotten big, the organization's got big, the reputation has gotten big, but we're still doing the same thing. So I have a pretty predictable schedule because I'm planned a year ahead because all of our workshop work has to be scheduled a year ahead. So I know exactly. For a thing. guy
1: with ADD, was it hard for you to no, talk about, about ADD?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the thing about ADD is that you're managed. In other mean? words, my whole life is managed by other see, people. Right? Yeah, yeah. my schedule is managed by other people. I'm told right. when to yeah, show yeah. up. You know, I don't know if you remember way back and I don't remember when, but when he was still alive, I had this thing about unique ability and unique ability teamwork. And I said, I want to tell you something, you know, Frank Sinatra, probably the greatest pop star, pop entertainer of the 20th century. Hands down. You may not like the guy, but yeah. he was there for 40, 50 years, you know. Frank Sinatra did not move pianos. Right. Frank Sinatra did nothing. He was managed. He had schedulers. He had managers. He had team and everything else. And the whole secret, you know, if you can free up an ADD high quick start like you and I are, you can free them up from all the doing. Right. And they just perform in the one area that they're really great. They're superstars. They're superstars. So, my life is totally structured. It's totally scheduled. It's totally managed. But the creativity is in the workshops itself. You know, I create structures where I ask people a lot of questions. And then I'm really good at getting people to, you know, compare notes and do that. And I'm a good artist. I'm a good writer. I'm good on video. I'm good on audio. All good skills, not superstar, but put them together. I'm a good front guy. First of all, I sleep really well and I get tons of sleep and uh, chemically enhanced to (laughs) get through through the night. But first thing in the morning before I have breakfast, I do a thousand calories of intense cardio and intense lifting work. Yeah, that's a lot of calories. Calories take me about an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah, that's a significant number of calories so you get them them. and i do it a heart monitor and the heart monitor tells you what you've done and you know i've been doing that now for probably since i was 75 so i started this and the older you get the more you have to work at it yeah because gravity wants you (laughs) and all your parts (laughs) in the end gravity wins Yeah, yeah but you know we go through a lot of great testing we have a lot of great medical connections we have two healthcare systems we have the canadian healthcare system and then we have air canada
1: right which gets you to the whatever Chicago, you need So
0: new york right. phoenix miami where all the really top-notch stuff are. all the top-notch stuff
1: so a thousand calories so when does your day? what do you do then do you do any reading do
0: you need like meditation well, i'm, a, I'm any... up uh, usually during work weeks this is work week so i'm in bed by eight and i'm up at four right you know, I'm a farm kid. I grew up on a farm and, you know, I'm used to... You got to feed the
1: cows, so you're yeah, under...
0: Yeah, you know, farm life starts early. I was in the army. Farm life mm-hmm. starts early. I was into sports. Sports life starts early. Really, my productive, my creative period ends at noon. Mm-hmm. I love podcasts because it's interactive and I don't have to do any planning or structure. I can just respond to questions. And then, you know, I have this year... We're still in the virtual part, but where you have in-person workshops, I'll have about 50 all-day workshops at two levels, the 10 times level and then the free zone level. I have about 50 workshops. But now during COVID, I've created this really neat thing. I have one right after our podcast is finished, and it's called a two. It's in the 10 times program so that when you're in the 10 times program, you get six extra two hour sessions between every 90 days, completely optional. And then the free zone, you get seven in between. So I do 13 others. So right now I'm doing about a hundred coaching events and I'm really in my sweet spot with this. We all have a public voice regarding what's happened over the last two years. And we said, boy, you know, it's really been challenging. Boy, we've really had to make a lot of adjustments and you do it without a smile on your face. But in private, you say, these have been the two greatest years of my life.
1: (laughs) Right. They're in the same economy. They're not experiencing it the same, depending on... No, they're not
0: in the same economy. They're in a completely different economy. Oh, yeah.
1: Okay. So I read your book, wanting what you want. You write these mini books and it was like gravity doesn't work the way I expect. It kind of ties into the gap in the game. So maybe could you just talk about that briefly before we wrap up? Cause this
0: is on Amazon, you know, I think they are like two bucks on Amazon. So I write a small book every quarter. So when I was 70, I said, I know how to produce these. I had written already 13 books in the previous 25 years And I said, you know, I'm just going to make a commitment in a project that every quarter I'm going to write a small book. So, a small book is uh, there's less than 50 pages of copy. Okay. And it's just a one idea book. You know, a lot of books have 10 ideas, so they have 10 chapters.
1: And lots of fluff, unfortunately. And
0: lots of fluff. And these are really succinct and they're about 50. But the first one I did was called Wanting What You Want. Uh, The reason is that most people don't. Most yep. people, their lives are lived by wanting what they need. Okay. Yeah. What do you need? Well, I need this. I need this, and I need this. And it's a very scarcity-based attitude. It's really interesting. I'm the only entrepreneur in a family of seven, and through back channels and things, I found that the reputation that Dan has in you know this family of siblings, that all Dan cares about is money. Okay. Right. But the interesting thing, if you hang out with me for a couple months, you'd never hear me talking about money. You know, I talk about, you know, breakthroughs that we're going to make and technology and, you know, all sorts of interesting things we're going to do, but you'll never hear me talking about money. Okay. But when I'm home, all they talk about is money because they don't have the money that they need. Right. And so my attitude towards money is, have more than enough for anything you're ever going to need, and then end the conversation there. Don't talk about money. Just make the money and stop talking about the money. Right, right. So what I discovered, and this goes back to my divorce and bankruptcy, August fifteenth, 1978, what I came to the conclusion during the two years when I was really, you know, kind of in the ditch, really in the gap, I said, you know, The first thing you have to do is you have to relieve everybody from responsibility for these two events. It wasn't her fault. It wasn't anybody else's fault. The reason why this happened is you weren't telling yourself what you really wanted. And you were hoping that someone else would give it to you Mm -hmm. without you saying what it was. Here's something, you know, Scott, that's really interesting. What I noticed when I was bankrupt and divorced, that nobody cared. Right when you're divorced and bankrupt, they leave you alone, you know, they leave you at peace with your thoughts. (laughs) So I said, you know, it doesn't matter what happens to me. So I said, I've got to turn something around in my mind. So I said, I'm going to set a 25 year goal. I'm good at habits. Yeah, you know, because if you're ADD, you've got to have some counterbalance, you know, to your life. And one of the things is that I'm really good, like, you know getting up in the morning and doing a thousand calories you know that's not something i decide each morning it's a given that i'm going to get up and do you the just exercise. do it yeah you just do it and so what i did is i kept a journal for 25 years and the only requirement is in the journal every day you had to write at least one sentence that started off with i want but you couldn't use the word because right you just wanted it Okay.
1: No justification, no, No oh, because, like, none of that stuff.
0: Yeah, and there's kind of like a wanting muscle in your brain, you know. I said, I'm not going to exercise the needing muscle in my brain. I'm just going to exercise the wanting. And 25 years is 9,131 days, including leap days. There are six leap days (laughs) in 25 years. So I started 1st of January... 1979 and I finished on New Year's Eve in 2003 and except for 12 days I did it every day and when I came out turned my life around I had this great lifetime partner who also ran the company and our company you know was successful we were well on our way to you know international fame and fortune and it's all because I just trained myself to say what I wanted. And like my ability to say what I want at 77 is a thousand times better than when I was 50 years old. Right. So I got hope you're saying where can people find out more information about strategic coach? Yeah. Three W's dot Yeah. And we got a great website and there's tons of videos. There's tons of audios. There's tons of in-person stories, you know, like people telling their story,
1: and you got lots of great i listen to your podcast so i'm a podcast producer you guys are listening to this so i'm glad that you listen to my show but i personally listen to like almost all of your stuff that you create so dan this has been a lot of fun i appreciate it go check out the strategic coach if you guys fit into that category i'm one of their coaching clients i love the stuff that you create dan and your Who Not How book has done amazing, from what I've heard. Yeah, we're so, up
0: to um, one year, we're at about 170,000. Right. Best seller is 15,000. So we're. Oh,
1: you're way past that. Yeah. So it's, and it's and also this yeah, one, both the pre, books are both
0: Pre sales, the release date for the Gap in the Gain, we're about 40% ahead of where we were last year. You know, and Hay House is a great publisher, and Ben's a great writer, and Tucker's a great strategist. So we have 10 books in 10 years already.
1: Right. I'm excited to read them. So thanks, Dan. We'll be chatting again. Thanks a lot, Scott. Hey, Tom. Welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott. Great to be back. The topic today we're going to talk about is sort of how numbers tell a story and understanding your numbers and obviously tracking this. But why don't we jump into that today and walk through it?
2: Yeah, sure. And I think where I'd like to start in terms of kind of the numbers and painting the story is kind of this idea. And I think, you know, a lot of brokers I talk to have this idea of kind of my lead to funded ratio, right? How many leads am I getting in and how many funded deals am I getting And. You know, at, at a super high level, that seems pretty straightforward, right? Hey, count my number of leads, count the number of fundings, divide the two. You know, what am I looking at? You know, that's really important, I think, there. But I think where it gets interesting, and actually we did this recently with a fairly big kind of team, is really diving into that just a little bit more, right? So we actually started with this group here at about an 8% conversion rate, right? And so, you know, that's one thing, you know, lead to funded, that's fine. But when we started diving into it, we actually saw that from lead just to pre-approval. So just, hey, you know, a referral or an online source, they're actually mainly referrals, to a pre-approval to an application being complete, it was actually about 15%, right? So when you look at 8% at the end of the pipeline, you know, you're actually really limiting yourself just at that pre-approval stage because you're only getting through about 15%, right? So you're already really kind of to this group saying, hey, you know what, this was an interesting part Of our pipeline, so that was kind of the first example I have of saying, okay, there's one thing to look at the funded ratio, but it's a whole other thing to kind of break it down into these different steps.
1: Yeah, totally. It's kind of like I think about it like as a golfer. You can be, what was your score? Well, this was my score, but how many drives? How many greens regulation? How many putts? Like when you break down into the segments, you can really start to figure out, okay, this part of my game is actually weak. And if I fix this part of my game, you know, if my short game is not great, I fix that, all of a sudden my score is going to go down collectively. But you won't know that by looking at just the leads to funding ratio. You need to break it down. So what are the other stages that you think are useful? And I know that you guys have Blue Mortgage. You can track all this for people, so it's really easy. But what are the other stages that you would identify as important to track the ratios between them?
2: Right, for sure, for sure. So kind of, hey, using the golfer analogy, what are the parts of the game to analyze, right? What's the putt? What's the short game? What's all that? So I think right off the bat, sure. So lead to application slash kind of pre-approval, that's one area there, right? How many people who are just starting a conversation with me actually get to that stage where, you know, they've completed an application and maybe I give them a pre-approval. So absolutely, that's a big one there. But after that, I think what you're looking for is then how are you getting that pre-approval to submission? And there's a lot of things that can go into that. You know, just the fact if you know your borrower is gonna, you know, find a property. If you're doing the right follow-ups to stay in touch with them, but that's a really key part there. And then after that, I would say even submission to approvals is huge because I know, Scott, for you, this is a big one because, you know, it gives a lot of insights there of maybe, hey, maybe you're not underwriting right, or maybe, you know what, you're not doing your diligence on the follow-up of the approval. There's a lot to unpack within that ratio. Then finally, approval to closing, which again, sometimes there's external things going into there, but that's kind of maybe that last step that I think is worth tracking.
1: The cool thing about breaking your business down into stages and looking at the ratios between the stages is that they all tell different stories. And so when you look at leads to applications, it's going to tell you the quality of the leads, right? And when you look at applications to submission ratio, that's going to tell you the quality of your sales conversation. Am I able to convert these people, this application, and exactly. submit it to a lender? And then you got your submission to approval or you know to commitment. If that ratio is off, then maybe you're throwing stuff against the wall trying to make it stick. Maybe your underwriting understanding isn't good as it should be. And then, of course, commitments to fundings. Are you losing stuff at the back end because of who knows what? Did you not do a great job on the front end? Did you not stay in communication? And so just like a good golfer shouldn't just look at their score. They got to look at the elements of their game. I think looking at the ratios between these is really critical. And I love that you guys make that easy. So is there any other sort of insights that you guys have had? Basically, you have all this data that you have access to that you've seen through Blue Mortgage.
2: Yeah, well, what I'd say is that, you know, I think you got to be fair to yourself and for me to kind of just throw at stats here is not super useful, I would say, well, you know, maybe it can be, but I guess really my point being that, you know, there's also more to the story than just these ratios and, you know, a couple quick examples that I'll give, you know, lead sources. That's a great one as well to say, okay, you know, if I'm getting a lot of referrals, That should probably be converting much higher than I would be if I'm buying online leads. And so kind of breaking it down even further can kind of give you those extra insights. The other really cool thing that I like to do, and again, this team I was talking about, what we did with them is we actually broke it down by team member. So they're a big team and they broke it down and they were actually able to pick apart and they could say, okay, well, you know, Tom over here. He's really, really good at, you know, the submission to commitment. So he's doing a great job at underwriting that deal. And it actually was an interesting conversation within the team to, Hey, who's good at what part and how can we kind of learn from each other? You know, just like a golfer, if your buddy, you know, has a great drive. And hey, somebody, hey, somebody else is good at the driving. short game. Go, exactly. go get, learn from the guy who's got the good short game to make yours better. Exactly. Right. Learn from his swing. Right. See what he's doing there. And so you can break these things down, these numbers down by agent, by lead source and start understanding, you know, that one layer deeper of what each of these ratios and what each of these numbers mean. Right. I totally reflect
1: and mirror your sentiment in terms of, you know, what are good ratios? It's really the whole idea of the trend is your friend. You need to pay attention to the trend is more important than a snapshot of data. I used to have a coach that coached me on Facebook ads and she'd always say, bring the data, not the drama. So they'd be like, oh, my gosh, I we'll won't believe what happened yesterday. <laughs> yeah. She's like, yeah, that's one day. Like, give me yeah. a week. Like, I want to see data here. And then you make a story around one off event when what you need to be looking at is the data. You know, bring the data, not the drama. And then yeah. what does that trend look like? Are my ratios getting better or worse? Then you can really diagnose your business. Like, And this is why, you know, using tools like Blue Mortgage, you can do this kind of analysis. And the cool thing is, like you said, across your team. So who on your team is crushing these different stages? Now I can be like, oh, okay, what are you doing different than me? And how you can optimize, right? Which, if you have the data, you can do that. Totally, totally. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so what are your last thoughts on this whole concept?
2: You know, I think that when it comes down to these things, there's a lot of these numbers that you can generate. So, you know, first and foremost, you know, get the right tools in place that'll allow you to track it, that it's not going to be a three-hour exercise just to figure out these numbers. Get that more on autopilot. And then once you do, you know, understand the full story of each of these numbers. You know, Scott, to your point, not reading into the drama too much but understanding at each stage and maybe each referral source look at that number understand what it means in the context of your whole business and use the laws of those big numbers to really drive the changes in the things that you actually want to be doing and the changes you want to make for your business right yeah that's awesome so if you're
1: listening to this you're like hey i love this idea of being able to track the ratios between i to check out blue mortgage tom and the guys are amazing we got lots of our You know coaching clients use them and folks that i know use you guys they've got a fantastic platform that makes this really easy for you so check that out and yeah thanks again tom we'll be chatting again thanks scott all right so thanks again for checking out this episode the very first broker book club episode where i talked to dan sullivan about the gap and the gain. And so again, if you wanna get a free copy of this book, we're giving away 25 copies. Just go to brokerbookclub.com. This is a new series that we're gonna be doing once a month. We've got another author plan for the next month with an awesome book. And so you can get a chance to win the book. And then we're gonna have these conversations about whatever it is that their specialty is. And then how do we apply that specifically to our lives as busy mortgage brokers. So hopefully you guys enjoy that. Check out brokerbookclub.com. And we'll be talking to you guys soon.